Hi, I'm Tracy. And I'm Sharon. And we are Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. So way back in the 1970s, we became radical Christians in the Jesus movement. We were promoted to leadership in the crazy cult commune, Last Days Ministries, founded by none other than Christian music megastar, Keith Green. Now we're sharing our decades long escape from the trauma and abuse of extreme Christianity. We tell our own stories and also invite guests to talk about fundamentalism, purity culture, arranged marriages, child abuse, misogyny, homophobia, (laughs) power-hungry patriarchy, and much more. Much, much more. So join us as we share our journey of healing and humor and how we finally found peace and joy on the other side. Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters, wherever you get your podcasts. Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm happy today to be speaking with Catherine North. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic conversation. I know just reading through your bio, you were a missionary in Japan. Uh, you wrote a book. I mean, you've got so much thing, so many things in, that we have in common. So welcome, Catherine, to MindShift Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So you're living in BC, Canada. Before we hit record, we mentioned a good friend of mine that you're going to hopefully hook up with, Janice Selby. She's one of my favorite Canadians. So Hopefully, we've already established some sort of commonalities right off the bat. I hope you do meet up with Janice. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I think we have a lot to talk about in terms of what Janice's thing is, the religious trauma piece. I don't know what your backstory is, but if you grew up as a missionary, uh, you've written this book called, what is it, Holy Heathen? You've, Holy Heathen. Yeah, Holy Heathen. You founded this program called Queen Sweep. I'm really fascinated to hear what your story is. So maybe we could just kind of start at the beginning. Uh, sure. Where did you grow up? You, you talked about missionary in Japan. Were you your parents missionaries and you had to tag yes. along? How did it work? Yes. Yes. So I'm an MK, a missionary right. kid. When I was five, my parents moved our family from Indianapolis, Indiana to Tokyo, Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent most of my childhood and young adult years in Tokyo. Um having a a strange experience because on the one hand i lived in japan obviously Mm -hmm. on the other hand i lived within a self-contained microcosm of evangelical christianity um and this was you know this was pre-internet this was when like one long distance call was a really big deal we would call our relatives you know once or twice a year on holidays and so I was so disconnected from sort of the world at large, like like all children are. My world was created by my parents. And my parents' world in some ways, I think, was created by the missionaries around them. And so my parents were and are these sweet, beautiful, wonderful, loving people of faith. They have they have such deep faith. They have so much love. 
Um, in many ways, they embody the absolute best of Christianity, of Jesus's message. And they were hooked up with some people who I would not necessarily say did the same. So they were part of a an evangelical group. Um, this group had been doing missionary work in Japan for a long time. And so you have these two Midwestern kids trying to learn a new language, trying to parent their three young children, um, and trying to spread the gospel as best they knew how. And there I was, there in the middle of it, trying to figure it all out, trying to stay alive in Japanese school, uh, which was not necessarily an, an easy feat. Um, but the whole time, my biggest, scariest secret was knowing that while God and Jesus and the church was the most important thing for everyone I knew, my parents, their friends, my teachers, um, the whole organization that we were a part of, I, that was the thing for everybody. And I knew that for me, I didn't feel it. Mm. It didn't feel real. It didn't feel true. I felt like I was faking. You weren't I buying it. On some, it wasn't even that <laughs> I wanted to buy it. I was right. I want to believe. Would, yes, and they would not take my money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been there, man. Oh, I wanted to buy it. And, and because, yeah, I just, I knew that it wasn't true. I was not one of Jesus's little lambs. I didn't know what I was. I didn't have any language for it, but I was something different. And obviously that something was bad, so bad. Mm -hmm. And that was so scary. So I did what most kids in survival mode would do. I faked it. I sang along. I knew all the Bible verses. Yep. Uh, Wore the mask as it were. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and that really stayed true up into young adulthood. I um, married young. I was a virgin on my wedding night. I married a fellow Christian. We became involved right away in a church. I did everything that I needed to do. I checked every box I knew how to check. And so I didn't understand why I still felt like I was dying on the inside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, but I did all of the things. We, you know, we did service work. We were, we were chased. We got married yep. in the church. We didn't have any champagne in our wedding ceremony. And didn't even drink. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you did the whole evangelical purity culture thing. So good. By all so rights, you should have been blessed. Good. That's the thing. It's a formula. Blessed. Yeah. Everything you've just yes. described it resonates with me because I grew up in a similar context. I wasn't a missionary, but in a fundamentalist sort of Christian thing. And the way I was raised to believe was it was kind of a prosperity gospel, not necessarily money, but if you follow all the rules, it's a reward and punishment theology. So whereby. If you keep all the rules, God will bless you. So by exactly. by rights, by that formula, you should have been blessed. But it wasn't happening. No, instead, I just felt like I was drowning. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was drowning. And my, my desperation grew more and more intense until I literally felt like I either had to stay in my life, you know, with my, my Christian husband, my loving church, in this beautiful, harmonious relationship with my parents. From the outside, I was still good. Um, I could either stay in that, and I just thought I was going to die. I wasn't sure if I was going to take my own life or if something, finally, the lightning was going to hit me. But I just was like, I will not survive this life. I will die. It will kill me. Or 
I could choose to do something that was even scarier in some ways than the thought of death, which was to leave it all behind. And so that's what I did. I I left and I walked did away. Messily. I mean, I wish I walked. It was more <laughs> like I threw a bunch of grenades, right. a huge mess as I went because when I was in my early twenties. I had yeah. like zero real life skills. I didn't know what I was doing. You burned so I made a few a bridges. Mess of things. Yeah. Yes, I hurt some good people who I loved. Um, so I walked away from my marriage, my church, my job. I left the city I was living in. I broke my parents' hearts. And then I moved to Chicago, and then instead of being good for several years, I was was so Mm. bad. I did all the bad things. Oh, yeah. I drank alcohol, and I smoked cigarettes, and I swore, and I had sex, and I went to therapy, and I started reading about, you know, witchcraft, and I started using tarot cards. I mean, you did it all. You get a tattoo as well? Not yet, but I did many years later. But yeah, right? It's so ironic. I can't help but think about this because I've done a lot of studying on cult psychology and the effects that it has on us psychologically. And it reminds me what you said about growing up and and kind of having those two selves is, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Robert J. Lifton, uh, Thought Mm. Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. It's one of the best books. It literally changed my life because Mm. he has eight markers of cults or high control religious groups. And he describes each one and he describes the effect it has on us psychologically. And when I read his book, it just blew my mind because I thought mm-hmm. I can I can point to each one in my life where that happened to me, that tactic was used on me. And one of the things he talks about is something called doubling, which is where we have our authentic self, which is what you've been describing, the true Catherine, but you create a second parallel self, which is our religious self. And those two are like, they go on a parallel track. But what happens is you suppress the authentic self in favor of the religious self, but it does tremendous psychological damage to us. And your authentic self finally broke out, as I would see it, and you broke that carapace of the religious self and became yourself. And you had to go, the pendulum swung massively in the opposite direction. It swung so dramatically. It swung so dramatically. And it was funny because on the outside and in in some real ways, my life was an absolute mess. I had no Mm -hmm. money. I was drinking too much. I was like basically squatting in my brother's apartment. Uh, I didn't have a real job. Like I was, I was a disaster, right? I went from on the outside, everything looking like it was good to everything looking like it was an absolute mess. And yet, and yet I was thriving. My spirit Mm -hmm. was thriving. I started to go to therapy. I started to read books that helped me understand my experience. I started to find other people who I don't know who who had never even heard of the church. They were like, "What? Do yep. you, like, my whole framework was so irrelevant to them. My yep. whole concept uh, of good and bad and how bad I was being and how terrible everything was. They were like, "What are you even talking about? Let's go. <laughs> never heard music. of. Yeah, let's, let's go see a bad. Yeah, yeah. You're so yeah. fun, so, productive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so ironic. Time, yeah. Over time, the mess, you know, the mess sort of sorted itself out. You're, you know, and and didn't in some ways, but. I remember one time feeling so much shame because my life by by really any measure was an absolute disaster. I was totally failing at being a good adult. Mm. And I was talking to someone who was sort of a respected figure in my community and they were basically saying like aren't you ashamed of yourself? And I was like, "Yes, I I am." And yet also I just know that this is taking me where I need to go. I don't know where I'm going. 
But I know that this journey, that this, I didn't even use the word journey. I didn't, I wasn't that new age back then. The but language. I was like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, all these messes that I am making, somehow they are taking me where I need to go. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, step back now, you can say if, if it was a pendulum, it swung from one extreme far to the other one. But the person you were when it swung all the way to the other side, that, that really wasn't the real, you found that balance. I think it sounds like you've come into some equilibrium in the middle because everything you're describing is classic ex-cult member uh, behavior. You know, they do the same thing. I did the same thing. You know, I went out, got tattoos. I did all that stuff after I left the church. Well, I was kind of in, in the middle of it, but you know, you, you, you're kind of like doing your adolescence again. You're reliving that adolescence yes. that was denied Absolutely. to us when we were in the church and in that system, suppressing our authentic mm -hmm. self. You're going back to, you know, 13, 14 years old and you're like, fuck you. I can do whatever I want, you know, but you're, <laughs> and you're, you're adult, you know, so it's totally yeah. different then, isn't it? You can, you can go drink, you can have sex, you can do all that and go kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 For me, I had to go even one step beyond the pendulum. Um, I don't know about you, but growing up evangelical, there were all sorts of, you know, sins. There was, you know, drinking and smoking and swearing, yeah. and, you know, being a woman, that was in itself was yeah. just pretty bad just for existing. Well, you're a suspect uh, but, but, for sure. Mm -hmm. You could lead a man yeah. astray, you know, and then it would be your oh, fault, yeah. you see, Absolutely. in the whole patriarchal system. Well, you know, because women don't have sexual desires, obviously. They only <laughs> Clearly. men, you know, to be malicious. To lead us astray. Obvious. Yes, of yeah. course. Of course, of course. That's the way, that's what I was raised to believe. I, I was raised in the Bill Gothard cult. So I don't know. Have you seen that movie or the documentary Shiny Happy People? I haven't watched it, but I. So, I yeah. If I you see that, that yeah. was my life. The only difference was I wasn't homeschooled in his ATI curriculum, but the my parents raised us according to his very misogynistic, patriarchal, modesty culture teaching. So it, I would say it was a cult. It's definitely a cult, you know. So we have that kind of background in common. I think that strict mm -hmm. sort of controlling religious background yeah yeah so i had the the anti-choice movement was a big part of the world that i grew up in mm -hmm. you know ab abortion was the ultimate sin there were all these bad sins but abortion that was that was really beyond the pale and so a, a really monumental moment for me in my healing was as i began to get my life back together and i started to figure out who i wanted to be i knew that i didn't want to be part of the church anymore but I couldn't figure out who who I did want to be. And I tried out a bunch of different systems. I tried out some different religions. I tried out, you know, self-help. Um, I tried out sort of the personal development world. Unfortunately, in many ways, it felt a lot like the Christianity that I had grown up in, mm -hmm. that same sort of prosperity gospel. If you, you know, check these boxes and you'll be rewarded with health and wealth. And I found myself in my 20s pregnant. And I did not intend to be. And I was not in a place where I felt like I could be a good parent. And so I decided to have an abortion. And even though I had left the church, it had been years at this point, I no longer intellectually believed any of it. So this is sort of like the, the final frontier. And I really wrestled with that choice. I was, I was very torn. It was like the person that I was now could see really clearly that truly the most loving thing to do would be to have an abortion. I was drinking heavily at the time. I was a working actor mm. about to go on tour place. yeah, with a stage play. Mm -hmm. I had no money. I didn't have a stable living situation. There was nothing 
in me was ready or prepared or even willing to be a good parent. And that was true. And yet all of the old programming, all of the old conditioning, all of the old misogyny around what a woman is allowed to do and what is the value of a woman's body and whose life is more important. Um, all of that stuff sort of came back to me in a way that really surprised me. Yeah, could be very triggering. Mm-hmm. So I chose to have an abortion. And what I was not expecting was that when I committed sort of that final sin, the ultimate the biggest sin. sin, the ultimate sin. Yeah, a lot of evangelicals would say that. Absolutely. And I did it freely. I did it. You weren't coerced. No, I was not coerced. I was not desperate. I could have reached out for help. My family would have helped me. My parents absolutely would have helped me. Um, This was truly a choice, and it's important for me to own that. Mm -hmm. What I was surprised by, what I was so, so, so surprised by, is that when I did the ultimate thing that I had always been told was so terrible, what happened was that I had a, a total spiritual catharsis. It became a spiritual rite of passage, and I had a mystical experience where I encountered a, I don't even know what to call it. It's one of those experiences that really doesn't translate well into words, but I had such a profound experience of knowing that I was loved. Every soul that has ever come into being and ever will come into being, if they ever go out of being, is loved. We are we are loved. We are loved. And that nothing can take us outside of that love. So where I I thought I was doing, you know, a sin. The unpardonable sin. Quote unquote sin. Yep. What I encountered was profound experience of love. And so it was almost like that took me just to the ground zero. It was like everything had been wiped away. My shame was gone. I didn't feel any shame. I also didn't feel beholden in any way anymore to that old framework or those old beliefs. And so I just sort of started to build something brand new, something that came out of that experience of feeling such incredible love. I called it being a heathen mystic. I just made up Mm. that term. I was like, I'm kind of a mystic, but I'm still definitely a heathen. Yeah, what am I? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I just started to create something for me. Something that for me that was brand new. It's definitely not Christianity, um, you know. But I go out and I talk to the trees, and I feel like they are just saying, like every bit of the universe is just saying, "You are loved. You are so loved." Mm. And I'll, you know, and that's it. That's my religion now. Whatever that is, the holy heathen. Whatever that is, I don't yeah. know what it is either. Yeah. There's a, there's a hodgepodge of a lot of different things in there, isn't there? But yeah, you can't necessarily say this is one belief system. Maybe it's something that works for you. Well, how much of it is you learning to love yourself? Because that's a big part of evangelicalism, isn't it? The shame, the guilt, like you talked about having an abortion or even walking away from the faith. There's a lot of guilt and shame in there, you know, and how much of that is you yeah. learn to love yourself, you know, because that's a, something Lenton talks about. He says, cults and religions, the guilt and shame lovers are the two most effective ways to control and manipulate people, you know, until the church uses them to the fullest extent that it can. And so we've got to break out of that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we come back from break with Catherine, we're going to talk a little bit more about her book as well as her life 
rebuilding after leaving the church. He's got some absolutely fantastic advice just as a life coach, someone who's lived it, who's walked this path. So we're going to get into that in part two, so stay tuned for that. I just want to let you know what's coming up here in the next few episodes of MindShift Podcast. I finally was able to reconnect with my good friend, David Hayward, the Naked Pastor. We had a chat the other week. That is coming up after this episode. We're here with Catherine, and I'm still working on lining up Peter Montgomery from the Right Wing Watch. He's had jury duty, so he's been a little bit busy, so we have been unable to schedule that recording. But there's a lot of stuff we need to talk about, especially the new head of the GOP, the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. I want to hear Peter's thoughts on him. He's kind of come out. He's been a dark horse. No one really knew who he was, but as the story has sort of broken, what we found out about Johnson is he's an extremist, mega evangelical. He is a classic Christian, right? The guy that I've been warning you about for years. He's a Trumpist. He's a Christian. One of the most concerning things about Johnson is even though he says he respected the law about you know, allowing gay marriages, the track record shows otherwise. So I want to get into that with Peter Montgomery. And one other really cool thing that's happening, I got a message on X the other day from Dr. Warren Throckmorton. And he, of course, was on the show a couple of years ago talking about the controversial quote unquote historian, David Barton, the Christian nationalist. He wrote a book several years ago called The Jefferson Lies. And it was so poorly researched and written that the publisher ended up pulling it from the shelves. Well, now Dr. Warren Throckmorton has got a new book, or I should say it's the second edition. It's called Getting Jefferson Right. He and Michael Coulter are producing this book, and it's coming out, I think, around the 1st of November. So we're going to give you some information about that. And the interesting thing about the book is that not only does it have 33% new content from the first edition, what I'm really interested to talk to Dr. Throckmorton about is how they have expanded their fact-checking they say to include claims about Jefferson by Stephen Wolf in his book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. And I've had this book on my radar for a while now. I've not really done anything about it. So I'm interested to talk to Dr. Warren Throckmorton coming up soon about getting Jefferson right, second edition. And then I've got another interview in the pipeline with Sarah Hayward. Now, this is someone I met through David Morris. He was on the show a while ago. We just had our MindShift Zoom call in October. It was really good with David. In fact, if you want to catch that, you can head over to Patreon. You have to be a subscriber, but I've posted that video up on the Patreon page. But anyway, David has introduced me to Sarah Hayward, and this is going to be really good. She's got a book coming out soon called Giving Up God, and it sounds like we have a lot in common. So we're looking to book in a date sometime in sort of mid-December. So we've got a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. And as mentioned, as I said about the video with David Morris, if you want to catch that, you can head over to the Patreon page. You can support the show. As always, greatly appreciate it. And as always, the links to that are in the show notes. Now, let's get on back into the second half of the chat with Catherine North as we continue looking at this issue of Holy Heathen, blowing everything up and starting all over. And so I wrote my book because I really was trying to understand what had happened. And at the time, I didn't know anybody else. You know, this was like before deconstruction was a, a term. This was mm-hmm. like, you know, I sort of was was a little bit early to this whole thing. And I felt so alone in this. And I just felt like no one else, you know, everyone seemed to think I was nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd be great. Ordered a, yeah. In order to make some meaning of my story, I ended up just started, I started writing. 
But I wrote basically for 10 years. Um, And what I wrote ended up turning into my memoir, which is called Holy Heathen, a spiritual memoir, because it is about leaving something that was so destructive, blowing everything up, um, having a kind of a rebirth, and then creating a new life as myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and learning to love that self. It's very cathartic, isn't it? It's a remarkable journey. It really is, because mm-hmm. we were talking before we hit record about this book. I'm 98, some somewhere around in there, percent finished with it. But what I've learned in it, I've, I've had to go back and add more. So every time I read through it, I think, oh, I've just remembered something else. You know, I've got to go back and add a couple of paragraphs. I've got to add some more stuff here because it is the more you remember, the more I'm rehashing it. And I'm reliving it because a lot of the stuff I won't say I forgot it, but I kind of I guess I suppressed a lot of the stuff that happened when I was a kid. that was very traumatic, you know, growing up in a fundamentalist, I would say a cult suffering from rapture, anxiety, things like that. The more I write about it, the more I remember, you know, so I, I get what you mean. It's you just have to let it take its course. It's a very organic thing, isn't it? Yeah. And first, you know, I had to do the writing just just to process, just to get it all out. It was yeah. a way of venting. It was a form of catharsis. And I was also I gave years and years of therapy um, and coaching, all kinds of work. So at first, it was just me sort of trying to get it out so I could understand it and then shaping it and shaping it and ultimately turning it into a story that I hoped would be would be useful that would become a traveling companion for someone else who you know felt lost and felt mm-hmm. alone and wanted someone to come alongside them and be like hey guess what it's going to be okay and the irony now is that my life in many ways looks very much like a life that i think the church would have been delighted for me to have with with some very important exceptions for for instance i am now married i have mm-hmm. five children we live in the woods. We have chickens. We make these wholesome dinners. I grow vegetables. Like You're off the ways, grid. We look a little bit. <laughs> in many yeah. ways, it looks like this very sort of traditional relationship. There are some key differences. I am queer. My husband is transgender. Mm-hmm. I am staunchly pro-choice. You know, we are in many ways not at all what the church. No, I just to say you were, but, you had you had us up until they were kind of off the grid, and then. Wait a minute. I could hear that screaming yes. sound. The brakes just went yes. on. Most churches exactly. would be like, you know what? We love the homesteading idea. We want yep. to like the rainies and all the rest of it. And then hang on, transgender husband, and you're quick. Nope, nope, nope. We're not mm-hmm. doing it. All they might welcome you in though with the view that if you got saved, that God would straighten you out. Because that's a that's a claim that a lot of churches make. They'll say, Well, we are inclusive, but what they really mean is when they say that, what they really mean is we won't discriminate against you actively. You can come in the doors and participate with the view that when you get saved, God will basically make you straight again. Uh, have you have you encountered that sort of sort of theology in your journey? You know, one gift of leaving the church so many many years ago is that I'm really very removed from from that world, and so no one ever tries to convert me. Anymore. Oh, good, it's you're lucky. Kind of fantastic, yeah. And I've I've been so public about my journey um, that I think I think most people know that you know. I, I would not. Our lost that, cause. But I'm not. I'm a lost cause. I'm such a yeah. lost cause. Beyond hope now. <laughs> yeah. Beyond hope. Yeah. Oh, and it's a wonderful place to be. And because I'm now a coach, I work with women all around the world. I feel like I get to, having gone through such a tumultuous journey myself, and having felt so alone and so broken and so like just fearing for my own sanity so many times, I now get to 
walk with so many different women. And some of them are from, have a church background, definitely not all of them. But it's like, I have such a strength in the human capacity to change and grow and get bigger and get stronger. And I think back to that self who was so new and I, you know, I was trying to figure out the world and it was like, I had these tiny little seeds of who I wanted to be. I wanted to believe in a world where love was bigger than hate, where kindness mattered more than dogma. I had no idea what that would look like. And I had like little teeny puny muscle. I didn't have, have any strength. And now, you know, I, I run this coaching business. We have these five kids. I'm writing books. Life is very big. Mm-hmm. Um, and my muscles have to be big in order yeah. to hold this life and manage this life. And it's giving me so much faith in our capacity to heal. And I think, especially when we're first coming out of the church or any sort of a culture traumatic experience, it can be so, it's liberating at first to see ourselves in terms of our wounding. That's a really important step in the process to mm. say, this happened to me. This, yeah. this somebody came and broke this thing. Yeah. That is such an important step. You don't, you never want to skip that step. Yeah. Therapy is. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. You've been yeah. abused and hurt and damaged and all sorts of things have happened. And I also want to hold out this possibility for people. That's just one step. That's just that's just one step in the process. And there is so much life to be lived. There's so much joy to be had. There are so many kids to be parented. There's so many gardens to be grown and books mm-hmm. to be written. Like there is such a good world out there. And yes, in some ways, of course, we're always healing. I still get triggered sometimes. There's there's things, but I don't live my life in that identity as a hurt, broken person. I really live my life from this place of gratitude. And I now get to help other people heal and I get to send them out into the world to do amazing shit. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. It's so incredible. It's it's so ironic yeah, to hear you describe that sort of lifestyle, that existence, because as you said, I can't help but relate it to what you said earlier. Isn't that what the church promised us though? This amazing, wonderful life of abundance and blessing and spiritual gifts and all the rest of it. And yet at the end of the day, where was it? You know, you and I, we both tried it. It was found wanting. We walked away from it in the end for a variety of reasons. But isn't that what it was supposed to be about? I was always searching for that. You know, the spiritual breakthroughs and all those wonderful things that never seemed to happen. You know, and it's not just in the church, in the kind of yeah. self-development or spirituality world. You will find just as many gurus promising. It's true. Anything. You know, I, I, think, I think the real promise, the false promise, is like an escape from our humanity. Like if you just do these things, you won't have to have a human experience anymore. You'll be able to somehow transcend that. Right? You won't have to feel sorrow. You won't have to feel hurt. You won't have to feel grief. You'll be safe in in such a... I don't know, like a, a bypassing way. And it's it's appealing. I can understand why people sure. come to all sorts of religions for that promise. But I think I'm not interested in a spirituality that takes me out of my humanity. I want one that brings me into it, right? That That is big enough to hold all of the hurt and the fucked up shit that humans do because we are really, we hurt each other so much. Mm-hmm. I need something that can hold the grimmest realities of the world and also hold just like like incandescent ridiculously 
amazing beauty of what it is to just be alive on this green world. Mm-hmm. It has to be big enough for both. And I think anything that promises us an escape from that humanity, it's gonna be it's gonna be fake. So I only trust the teachers and the teachings that help me be a better human instead of like promise me that I don't have to be human anymore. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like I was saying, it, I, I used to use that same language when I was a preacher and a pastor, you know, all about spiritual gifts and become who you authentically are, you know, and God was invested in helping you to become that person. That's what I used to teach my congregation. It was all about your gifting and all that. So in a weird way, I feel like I was on to something. I don't believe in the religious aspect, the divine aspect of it anymore, but there's got to be a kernel of truth like you just described. Find out who you authentically are and become the best person you can be, however that happens. In this case, like we're, we're not saying, oh, you have to read the Bible and pray and become a Christian and go down that path to you. There's got to be a better way that's not laced with all the religious trauma and everything else. And I think you can look at look at what people do. For what I mean by that is, while I have, I have such respect for my parents, they are truly loving, wonderful people, and they have They've loved a lot of people in their lifetime. And yet, if I look at, as a religion, what Christianity has done, you know, all of the crusades, colonization, stealing of indigenous children, the Inquisition. slavery, exactly. I mean, yeah, the list is, the list is so long. And recent, you know, we can make a whole new fresh list of, of recent abuses, too. And I think one of the things that you talk a lot about that I really appreciate is how Christianity has somehow become tied to this right-wing sort of fascist, oh, yeah. very frightening, yeah. uh, violent framework. Well, that's the dominion theology sort of aspect of it, isn't it? Christianity taking dominion over the world. That's where there's the militant aspect of it, isn't it? You know, it's a funny word for me because dominion, because I actually used that word about 10 years ago. I used yeah, it. I saw that on your email. Yeah, I, yeah that is actually was my... The tagline for my business was declare dominion over your own beautiful life. Right. And, you know, at the time, it didn't have those connotations. <laughs> and so I sometimes think maybe I should change the name of my business. But I also think that there's something powerful in the idea that the only thing we have dominion over is ourselves. Anytime you try to have dominion over someone else, someone else's body, someone else's soul, someone else's decision, someone else's, you know, anything, anything. that's when we run into trouble. Yes, but. We do have dominion of ourselves. I get to make my own choices. I should make my own choices. I should not be handing those off to a pastor or my husband, right? Like, yeah. no, they're mine. I Here I am in this body, in this spirit, in this moment, having this human experience. And it is my job to declare dominion over it. And also that is all I get to declare dominion over. That mm-hmm. is the only piece that is mine. And for me, that's sort of a useful uh, a, a guiding, you know, yeah, principle what? or whatever. Yeah, principle. Yeah, yeah, to help me know, like, am I in my business? Am I starting to get in other people's business? Well, and the thing is, what I was going to say to that is, as long as you're prepared to accept the consequences of your decisions, that's also part of it, isn't it? Yes, I am free to make my own decisions. However, I also have to be ex- willing to accept whatever comes along with that decision, and that I can't point the finger and blame someone else. Say, oh, it's her fault, his fault. I made that decision and I'm willing to deal with whatever comes along. You know, like your example of getting pregnant. I mean, you made that decision. You mm-hmm. had to, you had a consequence and then you had a, a choice to make. 
and then you've accepted the resp- you know, responsibility and whatever comes mm-hmm. along with that, that's your choice. You can't point the finger mm-hmm. at anyone else, can you? No, no, it was mine. And I was happy to make it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is that kind of autonomy. I think underneath all of the things that happened to me as a child, and I'm sure to you as a child, I feel like the real theft was that sense of autonomy, that sense that we get to decide, that that we decide for ourselves what is true, that we even have the right to decide what is true. That's, I think, what religion steals from people. And once you lose that that trust in yourself, and once you lose that access to your own inner sense of what is good and what is not, and what feels true and what, what is not, then you're so lost. It's like you've taken away someone's navigational equipment. And so I see my work very much as helping people reconnect that navigational equipment. It's like helping them, you know, set up their own compass again. We all came into the world with a religion, took it from many of us. And I get to help people. It's like rewiring things. Mm-hmm. Rewire the compass. Well, and you're, you're the critical thinking. That's what I was going to say. We were denied the ability to think critically because information was withheld from us, which is another cult classic tactic, isn't it? Information control, you know, where I was raised and probably you too, we were not exposed even to other theological traditions, let alone worldviews outside of our, you talked about the safe little Christian bubble as a missionary and I was raised in this fundamentalist Christian bubble, but I've realized now I was denied a lot of access to really good information and other traditions. I wasn't even exposed to other traditions within Christianity, let alone, you know, other worldviews. So when you're an adult, you go, whoa, whoa, I'm really pissed off that they didn't let me see these other options and other possibilities. I need to learn learn to think critically for myself, as you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is that your work with the Queen Sweep? Is that the counseling sort of coaching that you do? So the Queen Sweep is actually one particular program that I've created. It's separate from my private coaching work. Um, the Queen Sweep is a nine-week program. It's all online, and it is for people who I call sparkle brains. So the ones with big ideas and not very much follow-through, the ones who like to dream up things but have a hard time remembering them, the classic scatterbrains. It is a program where we declutter. We set up systems to deal with paper, money, to-do lists, schedules, um, and I help people just create a physical world that works. So it's kind of so light coaching in, in some yeah, senses. It's, like a, it's a combination of working in the physical world where you actually clear up your your home. You make a yeah. beautiful, functional home. But absolutely, it is it is in some ways um, a really powerful way when you start to shift your physical world, you also start to shift your interior world as well. So it's sort of just one other way of helping people make beautiful lives that you know they literally declare dominion over their physical domain. It is one more way of connecting people back into their power. Right. It's a holistic thing, isn't it? It's the physical as well as the emotional, the interior space. Yeah, because I know when mm-hmm. when your house is cluttered, you feel stressed. You feel, you know. Yeah. It has a huge, yeah. 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 And, you know, all your clothes that are hanging in your closet, they all, they all say something about who you are, who you believe you are, how you expect to be treated, what you think you're capable of. When you start to move things around in the physical world, um, it can really have a huge uh, effect on your psyche as well. So I have that's one of the programs that I teach, the Queen Suite. 
It's about cleaning up your physical world. I have another program called Practical Magic for Secret Mystics, which is how to create energetic boundaries for people who are very sensitive. Um, I'm incredibly empathic. My nervous system is very sensitive. This is true for many of my clients. Um, mm -hmm. It's true for many people who've been through trauma. And I also think that some people just come into this world a little bit more uh, attuned to other people's energies. And if you don't know what to do with with all, it's like you have extra radio equipment. And if you don't know what to do with it, it's like you're like Edward Scissorhands. You can sort of cut yourself up accidentally. Mm -hmm. So Practical for Magic for Secret Mystics is actually a really practical program where I teach people how to just set better boundaries so that they can be in loving relationships with people without soaking up everybody else's pain and sorrow and trauma. Mm, you got so a lot those of are my programs yeah. that I teach. Yeah. And then I do, I, I have an ongoing roster of clients who I work with for six months at a time. Right. Wow. That's a work. lot. I was going to say, yeah, I can so see it in fun. your face. You're so fired it's up. It's so fun. It. I love it. I love my clients. Yeah. It's true. What do they say? If you what is it? You do the job you love, and you'll never work a day in your life, sort of thing. But it's true, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I feel the same buzz when I'm building furniture. I I, I don't do it for yeah. a living, but I'm a carpenter by trade. I teach joinery and carpentry for a living. But in my lunch hours and you know spare time, I'll get I'll get a t little bit of time to build furniture, and I feel that same way that the whole time could just go like in a flash because you're in that flow, you're in the zone. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. I just enjoyed the hell out of that for that last half mm -hmm. an hour, 45 minutes, making something yeah. practical, beautiful. And it's just, it resonates deep down inside, I think, doesn't it? When you find those things that you absolutely love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's true. Well, yeah. I don't, I'm looking at the clock. I know we said we wanted to kind of end it at about 45 minutes. I know you got to go, but there's two questions I have to ask you. One, yeah. in November, we are looking for another guest. We hold our MindShift Zoom, uh, MindShift podcast Zoom calls, which are a group call with our Patreon supporters. And I'm always looking for someone, a returning guest to come back. So if you're interested, I would love to have you come back. I could throw you some dates if you're available. It's usually sure. around about the last Sunday of the month or somewhere around there. I would love to have you back if you'd, if you'd want to do that. I can, I can tell, throw you sure. some dates. But then the other sure, question sure. is, how can people find you? Where's the best place to get a hold of you if they want to talk to you? Or get involved in your coaching programs. Yeah. Um, my main website is declaredominion.com. Um, if the word dominion freaks you out, you can also Google my name, Catherine North, spelled with mm -hmm. K. Um, you could also Google my memoir, which is called Holy Heathen, a spiritual memoir. Um, and if you're interested in the Queen Sweep, go to queensweep.com. And I have a free course that'll take you through five quick things you can do right away to help life feel a little lighter. That sounds great. I was going to say, I don't know how you got away with that domain name because there's got to be some serious Dominion Theology preachers that would love to have that domain name, declaredominion.com. I want that name if I'm a Dominion Theology. Oh, so funny. You know, I don't I think no one's got to hold it. Nope. Mm -mm. You know, some I, I like Ken Copeland says, feel. I want that. Yeah. That's My what voice it is. feels pretty strong. <laughs> it must be. Yeah. Because. That is a great name if you're a Dominion theologian. That's what they're yeah, wanting to do. Have it. Yeah, don't ever give it up. So <laughs> don't ever sell it. Don't ever. We only declare Dominion over ourselves. That is oh, good. all we have responsibility for. I have to say, I was a bit nervous when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, saw that. Like, oh my God, what if she comes out with like this? You know, we're going to declare Dominion. We're going to take Dominion over the world. We're going to, you know, take the world for Christ. And I'm like, oh, you can't be that serious. 
But luckily, that's not the kind of Dominion. You're not a Dominion theologian in that sense. No. And in fact, I was so separate from that world that I had no idea that it even had those connotations. So that definitely has me reconsidering my... my (laughs) Very good. Whatever you do, don't sell the domain name. Please... (laughs) I'll buy it Yo, off you. We'll just bury it. If you I never promise, decide to retire. I will not sell it to an asshole. Oh, good. Okay. So thank you so much. Kind of, listen, I've absolutely had a great thank time chatting with you. It. So glad we got to meet. I will send you Janice's details as well. So if you want to connect up with her, you can do. And hopefully we'll see you maybe in November for our Mindship Podcast Zoom call. would love to have you back. People would love to meet you. We'd have a great time. So thank you so much, Catherine. Take care. Thank and I'll you. see you again. Yeah.